Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are talking to a man who lives by a simple rule. There shouldn't be any rules when it comes to innovation and change. He's applied that wherever he has gone in apparel and footwear, and it continues at Municipal, where he is the vice president of product. It is a joy to welcome Dave Ortley to the range. Dave, it's great talking with you. Thanks for joining us. It's awesome to be here, Ralph. Good to see you. It's been a while. We always open our discussions with a simple question. When did golf enter into your life? Well, I, uh, you know, I was a big baseball player as a kid. That was kind of my first love in sports. And I just, you know, I think like a lot of us loved hitting stuff. So I used to take found irons out to, you know, the football field or any open area. Um, but I wasn't introduced formally to golf until, um, until I was in college actually. And, uh, a company that I worked at part-time had a senior staff accountant that played every weekend and invited me to go and Gene was his name. I can't remember his last name, but he, uh, he really introduced me to golf and I fell in love with it in it, like it was love at first sight instantaneous. Where, where did he take you to play? Do you remember? Yeah, we played, um, we played Morgan run actually, which is in like, not bad Fairbanks ranch area. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful course. Um, 27 holes. I forget which 18 we played, but it was a beautiful walk. He was an amazing guy. And, um, when I was young, uh, yeah, he served, he was a pretty, he was a cool mentor and I credit him with, with giving me, you know, a lifelong passion, which is an amazing gift. Maybe the more important question would be, when did you first get on a surfboard? Ooh, my mother was an educator, so she had summers off and during those summers, she ran a restaurant on the sand and she would just stick me on the beach. So I was about seven years old and there was a Vietnam war era surfboard, um, in a garage sale for $2. And I bought that board and that was my first experience seven years. It's been, so it's been 40, 43 years. Yeah. And that was, that was not in California, was it? No, I was born and raised in New Jersey on the Jersey shore, which I think can get a bad rap at times. It's a, it's an absolutely stunning place. And it was uh, an amazing place to grow up for sure. Small town um, folks would come down from, you know, from New York and upstate New Jersey in the summers and it would kind of get overrun, but in the winter, fall and winter, it was 5,000 people in my small town. And it was really an idyllic, you know, place to grow up. Very cool. Been surfing a long time. <laughs> what brought you to San Diego? Well, surfing and, and, <laughs> and the weather, really. I, um, no, so I knew I was going to, you know, obviously I was going to school. I finished, I graduated high school and, um, basically through 
my surfboards, my mountain bike and whatever clothes I owned in a duffel bag into a Honda Civic and drove across country straight through 47 and a half hours, pretty much nonstop. And um, I landed in the northern part of San Diego in a town called Encinitas, which is just south of, you know, where the golf industry's hub of Carlsbad. So, yeah, I landed in Encinitas um, to go to, you know, any state universities at the time. You needed a year of residency. So I pretty much worked and surfed for that first year and then uh, enrolled at San Diego State and studied biomechanics of sport down there and had a blast. And um, yeah, so I've been now in Southern California for over 30, 31 years. You talk about biomechanics of sport. I imagine that you were applying what you were learning to understanding how it applied in surfing, later golf, that, that okay, let me understand how I can do this so I can do it better. Totally. And it's really, it's interesting. Um, I just met with a young person who was looking just for some, you know, career guidance and um, which I love to do. And uh, she asked me, you know, sort of similar, what was my path? And I would, what I was sharing with her, I'll share with you and your audience as well. I didn't engineer my path, of course. It's only in retrospect that you can sort of see how everything fit together. And yeah, for sure, I ended up in the, in studying biomechanics because I had a love of sort of engineering and science, but I really wanted to work with athletes. And it was, a, and I lucked into an amazing program run by Dr. Peter Francis um, at San Diego State University. And I worked on some really special projects with him and athletes that he brought in. He had a deal with Reebok where they were developing products at the university or technologies. So I got to work on some really early stuff there in the industry while I was in school, of course, having no idea where my career would take me. Um, and I guess the other interesting tidbit there is your, uh, your listeners may know of a company called Roadrunner Sports, which is the leading direct marketer of running stuff worldwide. Now, going back, this is pre-internet, um, they had a phone sales uh, department, and that allowed me to help people all over the country find apparel, footwear, and accessories that suited their needs, their running style, their climate, etc. So I was on the phones at night at Roadrunner Sports and I was going to school all day and, you know, sort of playing golf and surfing whenever I could fit it in. And yeah, so that's kind of how things started out for me in the industry. A bit of an education, a tie-in from my education and a couple of early, you know, a couple of early sort of side jobs that got me really interested and sort of led to some of the connections that were meaningful to me as a young professional. I imagine that you talk about the love of golf. That had to be a factor when there is an opportunity with Adidas just up the road in Carlsbad. Absolutely. Um, that was, I mean, obviously for me, it was a massive opportunity. It ended up being a dream, you know, sort of a dream job and dream career and um, pro just prior to Adidas. So I, when I was at Roadrunner Sports, there was, the, you know, for me to help 
customers find the right apparel or footwear, I had to first learn about the products. So that was my introduction to these guys, these young, you know, these young, cool, handsome, athletic guys that represented all of the major brands. And they would come driving up in cool cars, wearing, you know, like the Adidas rep, his name was George. Again, I was just a kid, but I remember George showing up to teach myself and, you know, the other folks that answered phones, basically, um, all about Adidas products. And as I was nearing, you know, the point where I was going to graduate uh, from, from university, I was thinking, what do I want to do with this for my career and where do I start? And I just loved what these guys were up to. They're called tech reps or field merchandising reps. And they were traveling all over Southern California, educating, you know, retailers on the benefits of their products. And I thought that'd be a cool way for me to apply biomechanics and do something really cool. And I lucked into a gig with New Balance. So before I even graduated, three months prior to graduation, um, I went up to LA for an interview, got the gig, and I had New Balance lined up and I spent four and a half years. Uh, I was able to go do the Olympics in Sydney in 2000 with New Balance, which is an amazing experience. And I really, my territory at the time was Santa Barbara in the north, out to the desert in the east, and then down to the Mexican border and everything in between. And my job for New Balance was traveling around to any retailer that carried the brand and teaching their store managers and sales associates about the benefits of the products and how to sell them effectively and roll out merchandising strategies and things like that. So, so that I was doing that. And, um, I, that was really when I fell in love with golf. And of course the golf industry was right in Carlsbad mm -hmm. and right at that exact time, Ralph Adidas journey bought TaylorMade. And I caught wind of that and I heard that they were hiring a product manager, which is sort of an, it's not entry level, sort of mid-level role. They needed a footwear guy. And um, uh, yeah, I got very lucky in finding my way into that organization, but it was right at a time when Adidas was getting serious about golf and they thought to themselves, what if we took this little tiny floundering business unit out of Germany, Adidas Golf, and stuck it in Carlsbad with our new golf company, TaylorMade, maybe they could make magic together. And that was basically what happened. That was sort of the beginning of it all. Um, TaylorMade had big plans. They welcomed Adidas into their onto their campus and into their family. And together, those two brands um, really helped usher in, you know, a totally new, you know, it's when uh, golf just had such a dramatic shift during that period of time in the early 2000s. With your background with running shoes, with New Balance, just in general, it had to have been a shock when you saw, okay, this is what we're trying to do. Let's, I mean, we're, we're just going to make the same old golf shoes. I know that that was not going to be good enough for you. Ralph, well, you know, no, it wasn't. We had to rethink everything, but here's, you know, sort of thinking back to what did I walk into at the time? Um, 
certainly you'll remember your audience, some members of your audience will remember at the time Adidas was very much looked at as sort of a soccer brand mm-hmm. and, and pros would not allow three stripe shoes that looked like soccer boots, even on the golf course. Like that's how different things were back then. So Adidas was making golf shoes without three stripes on them. And that was back in the days of those big clunky um, square toes, which was the shape of the shoe back then. They were totally shoe-like. They did not have three stripes on them and they were not welcomed on a golf course. And uh, not anywhere in the world for that matter. That wasn't just a US thing. So at the time, Adidas Golf um, total business was about 10 million bucks worldwide. Footwear was five or six million at the time. And uh, it grew dramatically in the 10 years, the decade that I was lucky enough to have been on that campus. It was amazing. One could say that the will to try new things, coupled with the capabilities to do them, is a dangerous combination. And it seems like that's what you had there, is you, you, you're willing to try anything, and you had a company that was willing to go along with it. Um, yeah, I think that there was a... There was such a strong desire to upset the industry at that time with just with newness and the industry was really conservative brands that were doing it at that time um had been in the game and hadn't really changed a whole lot and had successful businesses so why change and we felt like i I mean i just speaking on behalf of that entire you know if i may for a moment that entire organization had a, such a strong competitive fire to upset the apple cart, to win, to do things differently, to take on Callaway and Titleist and Footjoy, and then later to go toe-to-toe with Nike, the behemoth, and you know, whatever. So many other brands obviously factored in there, but what I remember is the spirit of innovation, the fire to compete and this underdog mentality that really ran through that whole campus. And so that starts with leadership at the highest level, um, of course. So we all felt it. And, um, and then to your point, we had, you know, we had a lot of firepower. Um, not only did we have amazing talent on campus, but we had you know, we had a budget to work with and we had Adidas, you know, factory partnerships and sport heritage and so much. So there was all of the ingredients came together, Ralph. It was magic and no one knew it. Like it took us years before we could even lift our head up and realize like, you know, what, what we were achieving. It was, it was such a super special time. Let's talk about something special. Let's talk about tour 360. Where did it come from? How did the, how did this concept and idea evolve? It, it was such an interesting turn of events for me. So I had just recently joined. I think I had only been with the company about four months and 
my boss left and went to Fila in New York. And we were the only two footwear guys. So I was the junior guy. He was the, you know, um, VP of the category and he disappears and I'm sort of new. Now I wasn't new to footwear. I was at Roadrunner Sports. I was at New Balance. I studied biomechanics. I've been a footwear guy since I was a little kid, you know, um, but I was, I'll never forget because I was in Vail and we had a new president, which was John Kawaja, um, gentleman, you know, quite well. And John was the marketing guy from Adidas America up in Portland. He was their head marketing guy. And he came down to the Adidas golf campus to run Adidas golf. And he called me, we were in Vail for a sales meeting. We had whatever, I don't even remember how many reps, but we had the reps, you know, uh, at the resort and we were ready to unveil all of our new products. And he called me and he said, Dave, your boss is gone. He went to Fila. I need you to handle the sales meeting. Can you do it? And I was like in the company for four months. I said, absolutely, I'll do it. And he said, good. And I said, what are we going to do for, what are we going to do to replace him? And Kawaja said, ah, I've got a bunch of guys up at Adidas Portland. That would be perfect. And I said, and I was just a kid, Ralph, brand new. And I said, Let's talk after, after the sales meeting, John. I said, I'm, I'm throwing my hat in the, in the ring on this. And he said, all right, we'll talk after. Anyway, we talked after. I think he talked to a lot of people, Mark King included, and other members of the team. And I think I wasn't in the room, but I'm, I think they said, ah, let's give him a shot. If, he's, if he blows it, we'll swap him out in a couple of months. I don't know how that went. But I got the reins of of a brand new Adidas golf footwear division, along with a couple of partners in the product creation area. Um, most namely, um, our lead designer, Gerald Kutz and our lead developer, Marco Grat. And we built a team and we had tremendous vision and we were going to do things differently. And we did. Um, and it really sort of started with tour 360. So, I was not a fan of the products we had in the line when I, you know, when I joined right. and I was a huge fan of, um, b- believe it or not, a bunch of shoes in a category that Adidas calls Olympics. And the Olympics category is filled with product that is highly specialized for specific activities. They have a luge shoe. I, I was going to say this, this is where I'm going to go back to my days of selling Adidas when I was in high school, where they have a shoe that is made for luge. They have a shoe that's made for the bobsled. They have a shoe that's made for, for not track and field, but each individual event in track and field. Javelin, sprinting, hurdling. Yeah. Uh, obviously powerlifting, um, agility product, like you name it. And so spending a lot of time in Herzegonaric, Germany, um, working really closely with, you know, some of the best minds in sports apparel, footwear and accessories, I think in the world, um, and looking at 75 years of amazing Adidas products and 
understanding their story and how they rose to prominence and, you know, their heritage of doing things differently. All of that for me as like a young hungry guy that maybe had a little bit of uh, counterculture, um, you know, run, you know, in my blood and mm-hmm. a strong desire to do stuff in a really disruptive way and, and differently and break from the status quo. Like those things, you know, were important to me. And I did that all with an amazing team in what I like the, the most insane, amazing organization. That's I think golf's ever known. Like the, the guys that were part of that group in the early two thousands and that whole decade, um, total legends, just icons of the game of golf and of the golf industry. And we did special stuff. Oh, so you asked about the tour 360. <laughs> Let me yeah. answer that question, Ralph. The tour 360 was, um, it was a concept sketch that we put together and we said like, you know, how do we really want to do what, what do we want to do differently? We had a, we had an idea of sort of reducing the weight of the shoe by carving out that whole middle part of the, the shank area, um, sort of in step out step, basically removing that and wrapping the three stripes all the way around the shoe for stability. And, um, that shoe, that drawing, no one ever thought a golfer would wear it. It was way too um, progressive, way too fast, way too avant-garde almost, very, very stylish. It did not look like a golf shoe. It looked like, you know, it looked like a, a, an athletic shoe from another sport, not even. It was its own beast almost, and it scared the organization to death basically. And I felt so strongly that that shoe would help us break through the clutter that was golf footwear at the time where it all looked the same at all. You know, I was so certain of it. I don't know how, but somehow the organization backed that notion. Um, Kawaja, John Kawaja, one of my mentors, um, the guy that really gave me my shot there, maybe, and he and I haven't really talked about this, but he was new at Adidas Golf as well, coming down from Adidas America in Portland. And I know we shared the same vision and we wanted to press on this in a different way, but I think he also had a chip and wanted to prove he wanted to do stuff differently as well. And so it wasn't, you know, the shoe was insane, Ralph. It's still amazing. You could put that shoe on the shelf today and it still looks contemporary. Yeah. It still looks cool. It's an amazing product. It's on my shelf right now. So I know it looks contemporary. <laughs> thing is insane. It's so good. Um, but okay. So what we did with it was also unique. So at the time, obviously, FootJoy was the dominant market leader. They had 65% market share. Mm-hmm. Nike was like, Etonic, I think actually Etonic was number two at the time, if we even remember Etonic. Um, Nike was just getting started. And Adidas Golf, no one had ever heard of, basically. Um, it, it didn't live at golf retail at all. So 
we did something cool. Um, we decided we were going to launch a shoe like, like nothing anyone had ever seen in golf before in the fall with a major marketing campaign. I mean, big Adidas level, Adidas tailor-made level investment mm -hmm. in October, which other than the Sun Belt, yeah. you know, golf courses are shutting down nationwide. No one's launching new product in the fall. How we convinced Mark King, to, you know, to get behind that plan, I, I still to this day don't know, but we threw everything behind the release of a shoe at a time when no one else in the industry was making any noise. And so it was the product, it was the timing, how revolutionary it looked and felt and performed, the athletes that of course agreed to wear it. And here's the other cool piece, right? Like if anyone remembers, we had, I think we launched three or four colorways and they were based, you know, there was a white, there was a basic all white, there was an all black, there was like a, a pretty basic brown with a black saddle. And we chose to advertise and put on every single athlete on tour at the season opener, the Tour 360, the white, black, red with the black toe overlay that looked like a bowling shoe at the time. It was so stylistically striking. And of course, Sergio wore it and, you know, you couldn't turn away from it. Every TV screen was staring at it, you know? So it was a combination of factors. We had amazing technology, a stunning groundbreaking design, um, you know, a marketing campaign in the off season with a ton of might behind it. And, uh, Another cool story, we brought in the regions, like the managing directors from around the world, all the major golf markets. And I'll never forget working with the head of Japan, at a, you know, Adidas Golf Japan out of Tokyo. His name was Bogey. And I said, Bogey, how many? And we launched that shoe at $180. At the time, Adidas Golf couldn't sell a shoe over 100 bucks. Right. And here we are with a premium tour level product at 180 bucks. So Bogey said, we can't sell it even in Tokyo. It's too expensive. And I said, what's your forecast? And he said, 300 units. And I said, Bogey, that's not going to even get us out of bed in the morning. Like you got to sign up for more than that. He said, it's too expensive and the golfer in Japan won't get it. They sold 40,000 in their first year. <laughs> in a, I mean, Japan's not a big country, but imagine when we tell the factory, Hey, you know, we only need X number of pairs right. because Japan only wants 300. And then it just, that's how explosive that launch was. And of course the tour 360 is still around today. What generation is it on now, Ralph? Do you know? I, I can't well, even tell you that. I don't even know. I, I know it's well past 10 years. I know that. Um, it, what's, what's crazy is what while Tour 360 is still around, it also really opened the door for every athletic golf shoe that's ever followed. I mean, you think now to all the Air Jordan golf shoes that are out there, they wouldn't have made those if there wasn't a Tour 360 that had blown that door up 15 years ago. 
Totally. And it was, it was style, technology, color, materials. Um, and the other cool thing that Adidas Golf could, you know, could do that sort of foot joy couldn't was we could kit up apparel and footwear together. Mm -hmm. And that was a new sort of, that was a new deal too. It was like when, you know, and when you realize that golf shoes didn't need to be black, white, and brown and could actually, you know, handle color and technology and materials. And then you could connect that on an athlete on the biggest stage, you know, in golf. Um, it was a, it was an amazing combination. So mastering that hookup with the footwear and apparel teams and the marketing team, all of that amazing technology and, you know, not for nothing, but tiger was hitting his stride, you know, so there was a whole new breed of golfer right. interested in the game. Um, you know, it was, he was pulling in and Sergio too, but they were pulling in younger, cooler, you know, athletes from other sports, golf really opened up. It was such an amazing time for the game. And, and uh, yeah, so part of it was timing and a huge part of it was people and talent is good. As you think about that style and the athletic style, one thing that happened over those years, while the Tour 360 was super popular, there also became an advent of non-cleated, casual crossover shoes lifestyle model basically and you know in its own way that's right up your alley totally in golf we did so we introduced technologies that hadn't existed in in the sport before things like um you know directional lugs on the bottom of the shoe to provide traction in different conditions or for certain parts of the golf swing or to harness energy in different ways um to play in deeper grass or you know, tighter, tighter grass or on hills. Like, um, there's a list of technologies, Ralph, that, you know, the tour 360 had the, the wrap, the three stripes wrapping the foot to stabilize the foot. Right. But even uh, the, the, the lugs on the outsoles, the, the Z's on the outsoles, the Z traction on the outsole for uphill, downhill, and to harness the, you know, the, the you know, swing forces, the power band sport after that, the, sorry, the power band, and then later the power band sport and power band had grip zone technology inside the shoe to hug your foot and lock your foot in place. It had the power band chassis, which had outriggers and different lug shapes. And it had Adipreen plus to return energy to the golfer. So you didn't, instead of foam absorbing the energy your body creates, Adipreen plus actually fed your body, you know, and helped you harness that power. So the power band was an amazing product after tour 360, the sport version of power band, we introduced mesh, which prior to that did not exist on the golf course. And we introduced a technology called 50, 50, mm -hmm. which we envisioned, you know, a boat, the bottom half of a boat or a canoe in the water is submerged and wet, but the top half is in the open air, obviously. So we were sort of thinking like, if you're stepping in four to six inches of rough, how can you protect a shoe? And uh, so we created that really cool PU, very thin, flexible, waterproof PU that surrounded the bottom half of the shoe. 
so many technologies, Ralph, like more than we could even cover in an hour. But <laughs> the FinTech, remember that one? Uh, well, of course. That was the key to the Tour 360 Limited, which was the, your first real entry in uh, the super premium level. The Tour 360 Limited, yeah, that's when we pushed up over $200. And um, we introduced FinTech, and that was a funny one. I had a real issue at the time footwear got sort of low profile and I'm not talking about golf shoes, like stylistically the, you know, um, sport footwear, you know, sort of street, you know, sort of street culture footwear, skate footwear. Um, it all got very lean and thin and golf shoes were stuck with this really clunky outsole. And, um, because of the thickness of the cleat and the cleat receptacle. And I kept driving the team. I want to go thinner. I want to go lower. I want the golfer's foot closer to the ground. We want to increase stability and feel for the golfer. Um, that feedback mechanism of what your lower body and is doing in the golf swing is so important. And we didn't want to dampen it in any way. So I was driving to get the foot closer to the ground. And the thing that stood in the way was the height or thickness of that cleat and the receptacle and the whole industry used the same attachment mechanism, which was fast twist. The only way to change that was to re-engineer that entire system and make it thinner. And that would allow the foot to get closer to the ground and the shoe to be slimmer, which would make it lighter and everything out and cooler looking and better feeling. And, um, so yeah, we had to go to town to try to get funding and to find a partner to re-engineer the entire attachment system, which took us about two years. And then when we got it finished, um, the sort of top level folks at Adidas, they wanted it only in one shoe. And I had a really hard time with that. I wanted it in every shoe. And I, I imagined us telling golfers how amazing this technology was, but they couldn't have, they had to buy only this one product. And then there was economies of scale that we could find if we could actually produce, you know, hundreds of thousands of units of these things. I lobbied really hard to have it in every shoe in the first season. And that basically meant a complete overhaul of the entire product line all at the same time. Anyway, Ralph, we did that and we launched FinTech with a really cool ad campaign where we cut shoes in half and compared things. Mm -hmm. um, but we launched an entire new product line in a single season. We basically told the world, if you're wearing FootJoy and Nike, that's old technology and your shoes are thick, heavy, clunky, you're losing power, you're, you're uncomfortable and you don't look cool unless you're wearing Adidas golf, basically. And we had a massive year and, you know, obviously it drove revenue and market share. And we became that season, the number one or number two brand in terms of market share in every single major golf, golf market in the world. We were number two in the U.S. at the time behind FootJoy, but we were picking up share like crazy. Uh, golf for Adidas against Nike. Golf 
and soccer were the only two categories where Adidas market share was higher than Nike. So we could walk around the Herzegonaric or Portland Adidas campuses and hold our heads high and feel like that little group in Carlsbad at TaylorMade Adidas was able to do something really special in our, our, in our business. FinTech was cool. And it really was another, um, I think, really significant breakthrough for the group. And it required, again, a full team of people, engineers, designers, and of course, executives at the highest level of TaylorMade and Adidas to fund that program. It was a big move. You talk about uh, maybe being a little counterculture. You would make a big counterculture move going to Oakley. And as progressive as Adidas had been, I mean, I've been to both places. I've seen the buildings. They're night and day. You, you, you went from progressive, you know, looking ahead to the next few years to looking ahead to the next century almost at, at Oakley. And, th- and that had to be a big change for you. Uh, it was a, it was a big change um, as far as, you know, sort of how campus felt and real for sure the, um, you know, it was a very action sport and outdoor sport and really highly innovative culture in its own right mm-hmm. with an amazing heritage, basically Luxottica out of Milan and Luxottica is the dominant player in all of sunglass and optics. Um, they bought Oakley and there wasn't a lot of room for growth in the eyewear space for Luxottica because they own everything already and they needed to grow. So they looked at their portfolio of brands and they said, what sort of, what brand could we actually introduce apparel, like soft lines, you know, apparel accessories and and footwear. And they chose to invest pretty heavily in, in Oakley's push into that space. And at that time, and of course, Oakley had a, already had a, a firm uh, sort of foothold in golf with, with eyewear. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was familiar to golfers, of course. And um, so when I joined Oakley, I joined to head up their footwear and accessories divisions. And that was everything from beach flip-flops to SEAL Team 6 military, you know, tactical boots to snowboard boots to skate shoes, um, golf shoes. And on the accessory front, you know, because obviously eyewear by most, for most folks is seen as an accessory. So accessories was easy for Oakley. Every bag, you know, backpacks, duffels, you know, socks, hosiery, headwear, um, huge, huge business. And Oakley had 220 of their own stores around the world to fill with goods. Right. So we were building product for both Oakley retail, of course, Oakley's, you know, website, the shop site, and then, um, and then wholesale and golf was a chunk of that. Oakley was making a push in golf. We got, um, we got uh, Bubba, Bubba Watson at the time. We signed him to a deal. And so we had to make Bubba a killer shoe, which we did. And actually, you brought up, um, you brought up Spikeless. And bef- what I pulled from um, a concept, a merchandising concept from 
the surf industry, which is really how they, you know, how they merchandise sandals, which they're not in boxes, right? They're on racks and they hang mm -hmm. from little hooks. And at Oakley, I wanted to introduce spikeless footwear derived from your favorite apparel concepts. And I wanted to launch it unboxed on racks as hanging footwear at golf retail. We call them um, course cruisers. And they were killer, lightweight, stylish, very, you know, I don't know. They were perfect. They were, they were so good. They had, a, so they had a, they had a great spikeless program and we walked into golf retail and said, all your shoes are in the back in boxes and you have this little, you know, little tiny shoe wall on, you know, at green grass. And we want to put this rack in here that holds, you know, 72 pairs of shoes. Mm -hmm. It was self-service. So the golfer could walk up to the rack, pull his size, put it on his feet himself and walk out the door Anyway, the shoes themselves are really cool. And the concept, the merchandising strategy was exciting. And our reps did a fantastic job getting it placed. So, yeah, we did a lot of cool things on tour with Bubba. And we did, you know, we, we disrupted golf retail at Oakley as well. And that was, uh, again, a fun time. Spent almost five years there. We, we, Ralph, we created a, a two-pound carry bag there, too. Um, <laughs> called Cypher. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so, and my challenge to the team there was, you know, here's Sun Mountain's lightest bag. Like, we're going lighter, no matter what it takes. And we broke that, you know, we cut that bag apart and pulled out every individual component. We weighed the rivets. We write down to how many yards of stitching thread is in that bag and how many rivets are on it and how thick is the, you know, the, the topper and the, and the base. And we re-engineered every single component in that bag with the sole mission of, I hate to say it, Ralph, but it was almost like, I don't even care if that bag falls apart. It's going to be, it's going to be the lightest <laughs> bag, in you know, but in true Oakley fashion, that wasn't going to happen. We built a beautiful product, stunning to look at, carried amazing on the body and did the job. That was a, that was a fantastic Ralph. Had I not been at Adidas, you know, I wouldn't have found my way to Oakley and that allowed me to combine my love of surf and snow and skate and BMX and golf along with all of my career passions and, you know, all in one, it was a, it was a beautiful time. Well, and your time with these big companies allowed you to really learn about all the different aspects of building and creating new brands. And that ultimately leads us to where you are now at Municipal. I mean, how, how did Municipal come about? Well, so Municipal, um, you know, we were over at Callaway for a short while. Um, and Mark Wahlberg is, uh, you know, part of that Callaway family is big time, loves the game of golf very passionate golfer. And, um, he had developed a relationship with Callaway's CMO, which is Harry Arnett. And Harry and I had worked together at Taylor made Adidas golf for many years in Ashworth apparel. And, um, anyway, Harry and Mark 
um, had gotten together around this idea of creating a sportswear brand that Mark would sort of be the front man of. And um, so Harry and I both, both basically left Callaway and um, plugged into Mark and secured an investment. And Harry is a um, co-owner, founder, and the CEO. And I joined to head up product for a brand that we call Municipal. And the Municipal Apparel Company is located right in Carlsbad. And um, we started that business in October of 2019. We basically wrote the business plan, you know, secured the investment with Mark's help, of course, and um, an investment firm out of Michigan that backed the program. We hired a small team of folks that are super passionate about creating newness and excitement in men's apparel, um, really disrupting what's been a big category for the last decade. It's called athleisure. And um, there are things we admire about athleisure, and there are things that we feel like the market needs and the consumer wants and we want to do differently. And um, so, yeah, we built a really cool, uh, we have a cool little headquarters in Carlsbad. We have an amazing team. Um, and we turned the lights on in October of 19 and designed a line of products and built a supply chain of factories around the world to create that product with us. And right as we were getting underway, <laughs> we got hit. I was in Thailand, my team and I, design and development. We were over at a factory in Bangkok when the global pandemic hit. Right. And as you can imagine, that created real uncertainty for a business that had, you know, was sort of just getting started. And we had a lot to fight through, Ralph. And um, we went ahead anyway, and that was a pretty, it was an insane moment um, for the whole group. And uh, we came together and we decided that we were going to launch anyway. And we were just going to do things differently. And that really was the impetus for really even more resourcefulness, more creativity, um, more innovation, new ways of doing things. And um, so we, we turned the, you know, we turned the site on in the middle of July of 2020, you know, whatever that is nine months after we started right. the company, we had product in the market direct to consumer municipal.com. And, um, and again, Mark Wahlberg, uh, is our sort of front man and fit will be the face of the brand at least for a little bit, but, um, it's really, you know, we look at it as a brand of the brand of, of the people for the people. Um, our goal is to create product and content that appeals to a guy from any walk of life that hopes to endeavors to sort of reach his fullest potential in life, no matter what it is he hopes to achieve. And that's really mind, body, spirit, mm -hmm. you know, so obviously with Mark, there's a workout and training component of that, but there's also, you know, our values are hustle and creativity and positivity and 
we endeavor to help guys reach their fullest potential. And so it's more, you know, it'll be more than apparel in time here in season one, it's men's sportswear, everything you need and nothing you don't. Um, hoodies, tees, underwear, jackets, pants, shirting. There's a little golf capsule embedded in there, which is cool. We've got a beautiful polo. So yeah, the product's amazing. The brand concept is super cool. And the team of folks at Municipal Apparel Company are some of the you know best people, coolest people I've ever worked with. So we've bonded and created a cool team and we're delivering amazing product. Just getting started. And it's a great culture that says, yeah, go get your waves in every day. You know, we lead a balanced life, Ralph. And that's, <laughs> that is, it's part of it. And, you know, that's one of the cool things that work from home has taught us, you know, is uh, if you want to, if you want to be, if you want to be at your best, um, you've got to lead a balanced life. And that part of that is an active lifestyle, taking care of your body, um, doing the things that you love to do, spending time with your family. And getting together with a passionate group of people to do really innovative and creative and exciting things. So Harry's been a, you know, he's a phenomenal leader. He's an incredibly charismatic guy. Um, we work together on the brand strategy and the product range architecture and off we went. Check it out. I've got one of the, I see you're wearing one of the t-shirts right now, Ralph. <laughs> That is very true. And you're wearing a hoodie. <laughs> no coincidence that it's a, you, that you're wearing you know, UCLA colors there. Well, it's a, it's a nice shade that you came up with. What can I say? <laughs> it looks good on you. Well, thank you. I, I, I have to ask this. Uh, two people you worked with who worked really for you at Adidas, Mason Dennison, Grant Knudsen. They now oversee the footwear at, at Adidas Golf and Puma Golf. As you have moved into, you know, what it what is athleisure lifestyle wear, it's got to feel good to know that you still have this impact in that golf industry, that here are two guys that are carrying on kind of the spirit that you started with. Those are two fantastic individuals, no doubt. So, and they've achieved, they've both achieved a lot in the, you know, in the space. And um, I feel fortunate just to have, um, sort of met those guys when they were young and recognized how talented they both were. And, you know, they helped build Adidas golf every bit as much as I did, you know, in those early stages, in those early years. Um, but anyway, so yeah, when I left Adidas golf, Mason went on to head up footwear and he's still there now. And, uh, Later on, Grant Knudsen, who had run the fit and wear test program and, and some marketing stuff at Adidas Golf, went over to Puma Golf, and Grant runs the footwear program at Puma. And interestingly, I went over to head up Oakley, as we talked about. And at one point, we went and um, the Adidas Golf team, we all agreed to go meet for happy hour. And... Uh, when we were there, I was running at Oakley footwear. Mason was running Adidas golf footwear and Grant was running Puma golf footwear. And we were sitting down. It was like, you know, it was a, it was a special moment and a footwear summit. Like anybody. <laughs> it was a little bit, but yeah, 
I feel blessed, honestly, Ralph, to have worked with so many amazing men and women um, over the years at these great companies we've talked about. And uh, it's been a good, been a good run. We always wrap up our talks here on the range by jumping in the Wayback Machine. And of course, I like to talk about equipment. Um, and I love footwear, as you know. As you look back, is there one design, is there one specific model that you would take and you'd put it on your mantle and say, yeah, this is my baby. This is what I'm most proud of. Um, it's so, it's just like your babies. It's, it's next to impossible to choose one. Um, I mean, Ralph, you mentioned Climacool. What a program that was. Was it Climacool? I, I don't know. That was special. I, I, I gotta say Tour 360, just because it broke down so many barriers and it meant so much. And that was almost whatever that was, 17, 18, 19 years ago, something like that. Tour 360 and, and it still exists today. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's stood the test of time. Special. You know what I think of with the Tour 360 as FootJoy released their new shoes this year is that even they decided, okay, we're going to keep our classic standard look, but we need to make it more athletic. Like even the icons of FootJoy have finally come to that level and saying, yeah, they were right. This was the right way to go. You need a rival in, I think, any business. Like you got to go toe to toe with, you know, and that's what FootJoy represented. And we had that, like I said, we had that um, underdog mentality and we wanted to upset that you know, the leaders and they fueled, they fueled that innovation unknowingly. And it is fun to see, honestly, like, you know, I still play a ton of golf today and I love to go, um, look at, you know, I look at the wall every time I'm in a, you know, big box retail or at a, at a pro shop. Um, <clears throat> we were pretty, a lot of products that we launched at Adidas golf and Oakley for that matter would look right at home today on the shoe wall. And that I, I know speaking on behalf of the teams that I worked with during those periods, we would all be super proud of. Well, David is your disruptive nature that really changed golf footwear forever out with the stiff and in with the athletic and the comfortable models. And now you are delivering in a whole new sphere there at municipals. All of it's great stuff. It's just great stuff. Thanks for joining us here on the range. Great to see you, Ralph. Thank you for having me. That was Dave Ortley joining us here on The Range. Dave and I just clicked as shoe geeks back when we first met and have had some fantastic conversations both on camera and off over the years. His passion for creation, whether in shoes or now apparel, it's real. It's pure. He just loves creating great stuff. He gets excited about what's new. And isn't that what we all want from creators? Excitement over their latest releases? Yeah, of course it is. Before we go, this past weekend, we saw the annual Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill, which was won by Bryson DeChambeau, and I wanted to share a few thoughts. First, I moved to Orlando in 2000, and covering that tournament was the annual highlight to the local sports scene. I had the pleasure of broadcasting all week just outside of Arnold Palmer's condo and would see him walking his dog Mulligan every morning. Just a man, wearing sweats, hair disheveled, taking his golden retriever for a morning walk and every morning he would come by to say hello, 
and one day each tournament week he would stay with us for an interview. In 2007, the event took his name, and to drive ticket sales, the marketing plan would be for Mr. Palmer to share his memories for radio ads that would run in the months prior. My assignment was to visit the office there at Bay Hill and record these stories. At this point, I was no novice. I had tons of experience talking with legends and Hall of Famers in every sport, and in this case, all I had to do was record. There I was, nervous, thinking back to my early days and reminding myself, don't screw it up, rookie. Mr. Palmer sensed this, perhaps, as he cracked a joke and lightened the mood as we commenced on an hour of storytelling. These days, a lucky few get to sit at his desk and take in the legend that was the king. But I think back to that time that I sat across from the man and just got to listen. As for the tournament, Bay Hill is a true big boy course, and to see Bryson DeChambeau able to power through his mistakes in a windy Sunday to take the red sweater was a great thing to see. He is polarizing, but golfers dig the long ball. They also like winners, and he is winning some big events. As much as he knows scientifically, age will bring some other golf wisdom, and when those two things meet, look out, sparks could really fly. One more quick question. As you watch the tournament, how long did it take for you to think back to how enjoyable it was not hearing guys scream on every single shot? It's great to have the excitement on course, but the screamers don't add a single thing. There is plenty of new gear available for 2021, and the best place to get deep inside looks at all of it is the Golf Spotlight. We are dropping new features all the time, looking at clubs, accessories, footwear, and more. Go to thegolfspotlight.com, click on the YouTube subscribe button, and turn on those notifications so you never miss one of our features. There is a lot to catch up on. Stay up to date on the range by following us on Instagram at the Golf Spotlight. We're also on Twitter at Golf Spotlight. Welcome your comments everywhere. Send us a note. We always reply. Now you've listened this far, so subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. We have new shows dropping every Wednesday. That'll do it for this episode of The Range, so let's grab our clubs, let's hit the course, let's create something amazing. Disrupt the world. Let's have some fun. And we'll talk to you next time, right here on The Range. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.